Welcome to the Mindful Dating Podcast, where it's all about helping you find healthy, lasting love without losing yourself in the process. Get clear on what you need most from a partner, develop a dating and relationship strategy that works for you, and practice self-leadership in all your relationships. Join your host, Dr. Yael Dubin, on her mission to discover how you can lead from your most authentic, courageous self and create a lifetime of joy and abundance. Hi, I'm Yael Dubin. I'm a mindfulness-based life coach at Vikira Coaching. I am... Basically, my specialty is helping people get from where they are to where they want to be using a combination of cognitive neuroscience, spiritual techniques, practical strategies, and a whole host of tools from my arsenal that I've acquired over like a 15-year career in psychiatry and 15 years in higher ed. And today, I'm going to talk to you about something that's going to be kind of heavy on the neurosciences bit. And bear with me and just be patient. It's not going to be way too much, but there's going to be a little bit here. What I'm going to talk about is how to tell the difference between being lazy and being exhausted and different tips and strategies you can take to get energized either way. Um, in our culture that prioritizes um, doing over being, action over reflection, talking over listening, it's pretty easy to get self-critical when you want to do something as radical as like play all day or even more radical sleep or just nothing, just like rest. I hear people describe days like that as lazy days. Like, oh, I just feel like having a lazy day today or I'm feeling lazy today. But I'm just wondering, are those types of days lazy? And are people who need days like that lazy people? Uh, and... I want to start out by saying I don't really think lazy people exist. I'm not, I'm not at all convinced that lazy people exist. In fact, I think um, my biggest piece of evidence would be, have you ever seen a lazy toddler? I never have. So if there is such a thing as a lazy person, I don't think it was that they were born that way or that there's something fundamentally wrong. I'm more inclined to wonder what happened between toddlerhood and adulthood that sapped that person of their energy, that made them feel like they just, just you know, have no energy to go on. Now, on the other hand, I know some animals sleep like 23 hours a day, cats, for instance, and clearly, you know, rest is kind of an important thing in the animal kingdom. So maybe it is natural to just be sort of low energy. I don't know. But when it comes to human beings, I think a lot of what we call lazy is really the result of life experiences that drain you of your energy. Stress is totally one of those things. Um, so if you're feeling stress that is profound, like something really big happened yesterday, someone you love just, you know, was diagnosed with COVID, or if it's been persistent, like maybe the pandemic for the last two years or the political climate in our country, uh, which is really stressing a lot of people out, by the way, you might find that you are feeling a little overwhelmed. And so I'm going to try to get the lighting here. It's like my ongoing trick, and it doesn't seem to matter what I do. Anyway, uh, enough about that. I'd like to explain to you a little bit today about the neuroscience behind the ways that stress shuts us down and how you can use what you've learned today to reconnect 
with your energy flow when that happens. So I'm going to give you a little mini lesson on what's known as polyvagal theory. This theory explains how the autonomic nervous system developed to help us adapt to changes in our, in our lives, in our surrounding environment, and how it protects us from stress, um, from threats, and keeps us alive. It goes awry, but it really has the best of intentions. So the autonomic nervous system is the part of our nervous system that does things on autopilot, things like breathe, digest, keep blood flowing through our bodies. And we don't really have to think about it, thank God, because we have enough going on in our lives. So really the main role that this part of our nervous system does is to keep us alive. That's the main thing. And that contrasts with our somatic nervous system that those voluntary movements like I'm doing right now, crazy ones or really normal ones. Um, but that's under my control. The autonomic nervous system itself contains two other pieces, um, actually three other pieces. Mainly it can, consists of the sympathetic nervous system and the parasympathetic nervous system or the vagus nerve that has two, two more branches. So it's like all these it's a system of systems. So the three main systems are the dorsal vagal system. I'm going to talk about these in the order in which they emerged. The dorsal vagal system, and that's the system that first emerged, and its main survival strategy is to play dead. It shuts you right down. And the you might wonder, how does that help you any? But if you're like an antelope and you're getting chased by a lion, you collapse, that lion may drag you off and mistake you for dead, go off to get some more prey, and meanwhile, you can just like hop up and go on your merry. The sympathetic nervous system is the second part of the autonomic nervous system to develop, and this section of our nervous system really primes us for fight or flight. It makes us energized, ready to go, we get irritable, or we want to flee, but this is a different survival strategy. So this is like fight back or run away. You're not going to play dead and hope for the best. You're going to fight and hope for the best. And that was the second piece to develop. The third piece to develop is the ventral vagal system. This is the part of our system that helps us rest and digest. It gets us ready for the day. We feel connected and flowing. We connect with ourselves. We connect with other people. And it correlates to the state we're in when we're in self-energy. If you've been listening to any of my IFS videos, you'll kind of recognize that. So in reverse, stress stress kind of has that reverse effect. If we start out in our ventral vagal system, we're connected and flowing, and then we get a little bit amped up, a little bit nervous. We might feel our, our heart is pounding. We might feel our muscles are tense. We're breathing faster. And then at some point, if we're the stress is too profound or it lasts for too long, we just get shut down. Our muscles loosen. Thoughts don't come to us very quickly. And we have no, no real motivation. So if you're in a place where right now you don't feel like you have any energy or motivation, it's not that you're relaxed or lazy or even laid back. It's possible that you could just be over the top stressed. And your nervous system has decided that the best thing for you is to lay low. And that's, that's the way for you to go right now. So what are you going to do about that? 
right now, it seems like the whole world, like a lot of people that I'm seeing on Facebook, and I'm, I'm hoping all of my friends will watch this after I'm done posting, um, people seem to be over the top stressed. People are talking about lazy days, feeling exhausted, depleted, hopeless, like there's no point. Um, and if they're not in that place, they're constantly worried and they can't, they're like feeling that, that sympathetic overdrive to the point that it's not productive anymore. They can't concentrate. They can't get things done. And I'd like to share with you a little bit about how you can use this little, this piece of neuroscience that I just taught you today to move yourself toward that, that ventral vagal stimulation so that you can get a little bit more energized and get that energy in a more useful form as your first step. Now, the best first step is to stop doing the things that are, that are ramping you up. So you're going to want to reduce things in your life that make you more nervous. And um, one of the things you're going to want to do is maybe think about clearing your calendar. If there are some things that you can take off of it, take those things off so that you don't have that anxiety of what's next on your list. Um, possibly think about minding your media diet. I had a client, I had a, a patient years ago when I was a psychiatrist who I was treating for depression and I used to monitor people on a, on a little, um, on the back depression inventory, a questionnaire that they could fill out every time to make sure their meds were working. And I got her like, and her meds were like mostly effective. There's this little tiny bit of depression. And one day I asked her, what are you watching on TV? And she said, CSI and the news. I said, oh, maybe think about just trying not to watch that for a month and see what happens. And she came back and all of the remainder of her depressive symptoms were gone. So no more of that happening. And I'm, I, I'm bringing this example up because the things that we see are always triggering our neurotransmitters to react in different ways. There are mirror neurons in our brain that don't understand when things are happening to us or when we're watching them. So, for example, if you watch a sporting event on TV, scientists have shown that the neurons in your body responsible for those physical movements that the athlete's doing, your body, your brain is also having those neurons move and, and trigger, even if your body's sitting still. So there's a part of your brain that doesn't know that what you're watching isn't what's happening to you. So think about reducing social media a little bit. Think about reducing your exposure to the news if there's nothing you can do about it anyway. Think about reducing how much time you spend really thinking about our political situation or monitoring the COVID statistics. Um, that's not going to fix everything, but it's a first step so that you're not furthering that, that trigger. Possibly for a little while, minimize contact with people who stress you out. Those things will help reduce the, you know, sending you in the wrong direction. But what do we want to do to get you going in the right direction? One really powerful thing to do to get you in the right direction is mindfulness-based stress reduction. Just, um, I have um, a few mindfulness videos that I've, that I've posted before. But something just as simple as just experiment with this right now. Just feel your feet on the floor. Notice that. Tune into your breathing. And notice that you're already feeling just a little bit calmer. 
Your muscles may have softened just a bit as you feel your connection to the earth. And this little tiny bit of softness, this slight opening and connection took you maybe not even a minute to achieve. If you were to practice that mindfulness-based stress reduction technique for five, maybe even 15 minutes a day, you will be intentionally triggering the, the ventral vagal system, intentionally bringing about forms of connection, which are going to skew that balance back in a more flowing, easygoing, self-led direction. If you can, if you have a pet or a person that you're living with and you're comfortable with, get yourself some snuggles in. Because snuggling and cuddling also activates that ventral vagal system that helps us feel connected and grounded. And the third thing is think about some folks in your life who you know are uplifting, who you know have a positive attitude and are going to help you see things in the most positive possible light who are going to reflect positive things about you back to you. People who are emotionally available and you can count on to hear you and to listen when you talk. Choose to spend a little more time with those people and just a little bit less time with people who bring you down. Possibly look for some uplifting things in your media. So, for example, watch some comedies. If you need to watch the news, maybe watch a, a news satire so you can kind of have an idea what's going on, but you'll be laughing about it. Laughter has been shown to cause the release of dopamine in your, in your brain, and dopamine is the reward chemical. It's very uplifting to feel a little boost of dopamine. So do some things to intentionally trigger that. And one of the things I love about laughter, just while we're on this topic, not only does laughing itself trigger the release of dopamine, but planning to laugh later triggers the release of dopamine. So if you just imagine that you're going to watch something on Comedy Central and you're going to laugh, you already start getting dopamine. It already uplifts you. So those are a few tips for how you can play with your own neuroscience in ways like consciously to sort of direct traffic and get a little bit more activity happening from your ventral vagus system. So this is kind of where you are now. And as you as you pull that balance away, let me see, I have a, I have a list of other things. Ah, I forgot one really big thing. Okay, I'm looking at my list over here. My list, one other really super huge thing to do to help you with your ventral vagal system is to find positive ways to connect to the world around you. Nature is a huge way to do that. So if you have something like a tree outside or just a patch of lawn or some flowers that you like to look at, if you enjoy looking at snow, I know some of you are living in really cold environments right now. If you can hike, bike, snowshoe, just take a little walk and enjoy something in nature that will help you activate that ventral vagal portion as well if you feel connected. Now, of course, all of these things that can connect you can also connect you to events that may have been disturbing, traumatic, upsetting, however you want to call it. And if that's the case, don't do that activity. That one's not for you. But out of this list, hopefully you found something that will work for you and that will help you activate that ventral vagal system. And 
part of the reason you're able to do this is that the nervous system is incredibly responsive. Your ner- your nervous system, your mood, your thoughts can all change based on your conscious direction. You might feel better watching something funny, for example, and notice that you feel better, but then you, know, you might feel great over again right after you turn that off. Ugh, that didn't work. You all lied to me. I feel just as lousy as I did before. It may take a while before that balance of neurotransmitters shifts on a more permanent basis because it is just your neurotransmitter systems like responsive on a minute by minute basis. Of course it is. Like we evolved trying to run away from mountain lions. We're not going to stay relaxed and laid back when there's a mountain lion. That would be dumb. So our system is going to be moment to moment responding. It takes a while before changes become permanent, or it takes something really monumental. So give these subtle changes that we're talking about here a little bit of time to become more permanent, to take root, and to grow. And notice how you're feeling. I'd love to hear back from you and let me know if any of these tips worked for you. If so, which ones? How long did you have to try them before you noticed something feeling better? And let me know which things didn't work for you in this video. Um, if you find that these tips just aren't cutting it, there are tons of resources available online for dealing with overwhelm. You can find a lot of articles. You can find a lot of, um, like if you're overwhelmed to the point that you can't make it to work, you're not getting regular meals, sleep is out the window, and you haven't showered in, eh, say, like more than a week. You might want to... Um, find someone who can give you some mental health care, possibly medication is in order. If you're still functioning or if you already have someone that's kind of helping you therapeutically with symptoms, it's possible that some mindfulness training could be helpful and I'd be happy to do that with you in life coaching. And I have other coaches that I've interviewed on my, um, on my Facebook site, so you can look at that. And also, you might want to learn a little bit more about polyvagal theory and see what more you can do on your own. I have some books in my bookshop, and there's a link to that right over my head here, or under, I don't know, I'm not sure where the comment will show up, but it'll be in the comment section. Thanks so much for watching today. I appreciate your time and attention. I would love to hear from you um, to know what you're getting out of these videos. And of course, as always, appreciate a share or a like. Um, and final thing, I am still having the book giveaway. I'm giving away four books this month. So if you share any of the, of the posts, especially the ones listing the books, that's awesome. I will, um, enter your name into the raffle to draw a name. And I have more books that I'm going to raffle off next month. I've decided that since I love to read and there's so many great books out there that I'm going to make giving away a book a thing I do every month. So that's all for now. I hope you all had a really wonderful time learning about how to connect with your ventral vagal system. I hope that we're able to connect face-to-face via Zoom soon. Talk to you all later. Bye. Thank you for listening to Mindful Dating with your host, Dr. Yael Dubin. If you're ready to shake up your dating routine and transform your approach to relationships, go to BahiraCoaching.com where you can sign up for our newsletter, pick up your free digital copy of Five Keys to Finding Lasting Love, and even schedule a free call with Yael now. 
Bahira Coaching is on Facebook and Instagram. Stay up to date with our programs, literature, and watch live sessions with Dr. Dubin. Links will be included in the show notes. Tune in next week when we'll share more about how you can find lasting love without losing yourself in the process.